Hey everybody, how's it going? Thank you guys for tapping on this video, entering into this Bible study universe with us here. <laughs> Welcome, you feeling good? Go ahead and grab your Bible, open it up to Ezekiel chapter eight. It's where we left off last time. It's the same three mustaches, but we have a new guest with us today. Would you like to introduce yourself, Carly? I do not have a mustache, I'm yes. sorry. Uh, my name's Carly, I am a mom. <laughs> mm -hmm. who also has a Master of Divinity and a love and passion for the Bible. The only person in history who ever, in the process of getting an MDiv, became closer to Jesus Christ the Lord. 100%. That, why did you get your Master's of Divinity? Um, the Lord just kind of opened every door for it to be a fully funded, scholarship ride. Cool. So I thought to myself... Oh, Fantastic. Awesome. We're moving forward in that. That's really cool. Yeah. Fun fact about Carly. I'm probably going to drop several. Oh, boy. Because yeah, we, we go back a ways. We go back. Um, when, I, when, when, when we invited her to be on this podcast, um, one of her number one questions was, should I bring my own chair? Bring oh my, my own chair, Nick. So we had to, so I just let really her know. Do funny. you it's want okay. me to disclose the <laughs> no. reason why? No. Nope. Okay. We're well, just, then I will not. But we have our own chairs. So we we bought them. Baffling. <laughs> Baffling con content. I would have had like a plastic lawn chair. <laughs> Just, I mean, totally. unless you're really particular with your own chair. I'm falling on the sword for this one big, Nick, and I will cash in on that later. <laughs> totally. Let it be known. Well, let it be known that Logan and I, and I are as confused as the rest of you watching at home. <laughs> so go ahead, grab your Bible, open to Ezekiel chapter 8. So let's talk about where we are. We're calling this podcast 1189 because there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible, and we're gonna go through all of them um, unless I die first or unless Jesus comes back, which one of those two would be preferable. So here is Ezekiel, and if you're just joining us, go back and watch the other episodes. Um, we'd love it if you'd like, comment, subscribe, all that stuff. If you're listening on a podcast app, give us a review if you like it. If you don't like it, don't review it. Um, then go listen to something else. Is that the thing you can say? Can you yeah. say that, Logan? No, you can't say that. You can't say that? Okay, well, I they changed my mind. They have to only mind. listen to this one. Okay, exactly, exactly. So here's what's going on in the book of Ezekiel. The, the people of God are about to be sent into exile, which is a 700-year a, a prophecy from um, Moses, from Deuteronomy. This is the, one of the biggest moves of the whole Old Testament. One of the biggest moves of the whole Old Testament is into and out of the land of Israel. And I've noticed through teaching that a lot of people have a really firm grasp on the into Israel part, and a lot of people do not have a firm grasp on the out of Israel part, possibly because the majority of exile content is prophetic and poetic and not narrative, right? Yeah. And it's terrifying, too. And it's terrifying. It's not something you just, you know, casual, you know, morning coffee with the Lord devotional content. Totally. Like if you're a woman and you ever meet and, and you're single and you meet a guy and you're like, what'd you study in the Bible today? And he was like, Ezekiel chapter 16. Then, you know, Run. right. I have a black out in my Bible. I sharpie <laughs> it out. I just word. removed it. Day yeah. one of Bible college. Didn't need it. That's that's, that's fantastic. That's what um, Thomas Jefferson did. I just about that? said the Jefferson Bible. You Jefferson yeah. Bible did. Yeah, it's a lot easier that way. And what did he he cut out like the miracles, right? Because he was very anti supernatural. Correct. Yeah. Wow, just, it's cutting out the best bits. It yeah, is. just to focus on the person of Jesus. It's like watching mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings and editing out all the Gollum scenes. It's <laughs> like, what are you doing? I've mean, seen Lord of the Rings. I like the reasoning behind it, but the uh, yeah the end result kind of left. I like no Harry Potter. Back. Ooh, yeah. So that. I think you could buy the Jefferson Bible, right? Isn't that like an Amazon thing? Like a modern copy of it or his actual one? Well, a modern copy of it. Yeah, probably. I'm sure. Interesting. We can probably. It is interesting. Yeah. Remember when people were trying to take all those books off of Amazon and then someone was like, Mein Kampf is still for sale on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That one's a, a lot worse. pretty low bar. I mean, Amazon sells everything. See, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. All right. Yeah. So. This is an overview of the book of Ezekiel. Um, this is where it's going. It's based on the idea of glory. It starts with glory and it ends with glory. So the last eight chapters are the glorious vision of the metaphorical temple of God that is all of Jerusalem. And so what's happening effectively is God is giving the just punishment to the people of Israel through creative prophecies 
into exile. Then he's judging the other nations. Then he's giving them his promise of return, right? So you're going to be kicked out of this country, and then you're not. And then it's going to be way better than you ever thought. That's the general idea, right? And then that's where the Valley of the Bones thing comes in, which is kind of everybody's favorite favorite part. My gosh, I just hey, go back to that slide real quick. Uh-huh. You know, spoiler alert. Ezekiel chapter 38 through 39. Gog the millennial boss for those of you just listening is what it says. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I actually can't wait for that. I'm, I mean, I don't even know what that is, but that's like a rad metal band. Well, if I was like a dispensational guy who was trying to make a bunch of money, I would just be talking about how it's Russia. Oh. <laughs> Gog's Russia. <laughs> Gog's Russia and Magog's Australia. <laughs> that happens more often than it should. Totally. Yeah. There's a book that was for sale in, in, and it came out in 1988. It's called 88 Reasons That Jesus Is Coming Back in 1988. Oh. And I really want to get... that book. I guarantee it. I really <laughs> I want to it. do an ironic study of that on YouTube. Wouldn't that be so fun? It would be hilarious. That's bargain bin material. Yeah. Oh, man. Poor guy. No one knows the day or the hour, but I know the year. Hey, that guy. 1988. Dodgers win the World Series and Jesus <laughs> is coming back. Yeah. Don't go to Vegas. Yeah. Nice jacket. Thank you. Nice Dodgers jacket. Let's take it off. It's getting warm. Mm. It's getting warm? Yeah. But oh, man. Looks good. Looks good. Okay, so <laughs> what we saw in the first seven chapters is we saw the glorious calling of Ezekiel, and then we saw these visions of the glorious place being destroyed. Now we're going to see visions of the glory departing from Israel, which is an absolute disaster. Because if you remember, when they finished the tabernacle at the end of Exodus, the glory cloud of God comes into the Holy of Holies. This is the climax of the entire book, right? When Moses goes to the top of the mountain, the glory comes down, right? When, uh, when, when Israel is a disaster, that woman names her son Ichabod, which literally means the glory has departed from Israel, right? So this is, glory is what emanates from God. And um, God is removing his glory from his place as a punishment to his people. And so Ezekiel is going to go on some real trips here. He's <laughs> in Babylon already, but God in the spirit is going to take him to tour a non-metaphorical Israel. He is not literally in Jerusalem, but mm. he will be there in his vision. So anybody who like took a bunch of drugs in college, you can help understand us understand this. Perfectly. What's going on here? Okay. Um, Imagine being named something that means like God are. left our people. Yeah. Totally. Like you're born, you have no concept, and then Oof. by the time you get to like grade school, it's like your name means God is no longer in America. Yeah. <laughs> it's like good heavens. Yeah. <laughs> good luck finding a lunch table with that name. Oh, That's good. Buddy. I can't Is wait to. Me? Poor Ichabod. <laughs> Oh my gosh, <laughs> poor guy, and the poor the poor kids from uh, poor Hosea's poor kids, right? Were those? those were um, uh, what were what were the names of his kids? I gotta I gotta look it up. I don't have an MDiv, Carly. I can't do you, think. Do you know? I can't think. MDiv in progress. Yeah, Megan? just. I just sleep in the Jose's back of the class. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, you're supposed to be there today. Yeah. And then you said, <laughs> don't go to class. Don't go to co college. Come to the podcast. You had class right now? Yeah. I do have class right now. But yeah. like you're here every week at the same time. Well, he changed it today. Not getting yeah, student of really the quarter. Shoot a different yeah. day of the week. Yeah. Student of the quarter does not belong to me. Got it. You should yeah. get yeah. credit for this though. I mean, come on. Yeah, true. Did We're, you find the kids' names? Yeah, no mercy oh. and not my people. Oh, that's right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> not my people. Oh. Also, great names for metal bands. Yeah, I like that. Like, the oh, Old yeah. Testament's <laughs> filled with them. I agree. I read the book of Obadiah, and I'm like, if I ever am able to lead to Christ like a metalhead, that yeah. like is, I'm going to be like, dude, check out this doom poem from God. Yeah, you got Gog. Right? Gog. No yeah. mercy. Not my people. Not my people. I, that sounds like a killer, like ticket yeah true it does it does it sounds like a concert that i would have gotten in trouble for going to <laughs> all right so um this is uh the chiastic structure of 8 through 11 so this is from daniel block if you like taking note of things like that um 
um, effectively what he's doing is he's giving an open and a close to this section. And so that's why I've divided it that way. So let's look at the text. It says, in the sixth year, chapter eight, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house, Ezekiel gives us some of the best um, date notations of any of the biblical writers. So it was 14 months after the vision in chapter 316, which is good because he needs a little break. My guy needs a break. Yeah, like, after a year of laying on your laying side. On side. Totally. He needs just, let's just leave him alone. He's okay, yeah. right? Like he has, he needs to let his beard grow back. So the vision took place, this one took place on September 18th, excuse me, 592 BC, which is 522,802 days ago from today. Mm. Um, with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me here. So when I've been teaching this, one of the things that the most people are asking me is they're asking me like, what's going on in exile, right? So like, what is it like? We know from studying archaeology, like we looked at in a previous chapter, that they were effectively free and just living in kind of like a society camp. And they're like, do whatever you want, right? And this is one thing that shows us the relationship that Ezekiel has with the people. Because you see the people coming to him for a word from the Lord. So that means they believed he was a prophet, right? That means he did have the reputation of a prophet. So I think that's important. Um, it also We also see in chapters 14 and 20, they specifically say that they came seeking a word. I know here it just says they were sitting, but we can kind of get what they're going for here. The hand of the Lord fell upon me there. So he is enraptured into a vision brought about by God. Then I looked and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man below what appeared to be his waist was fire. And above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. So you can see that he's like trying to understand how to say what is going on. He's like, it kind of looks like this. It kind of looked like that. Here is Raphael's painting of this. I think that it's, you know, a, a, a product of, it's a stunning painting, but it's a product of its time in that it's not nearly as vague and wild as the, the words that Ezekiel uses to describe it, if that makes sense. I have another one in a different episode um, that shows it kind of in a more wacky, artistic way. He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. And this does that mean that Ezekiel had dreadlocks? Yeah, maybe. Here. Is that what that means? So cool looking. Because I know that it says that Samson had like either seven or nine locks of hair, right? We don't really Samson know. Samson had dreads. Samson had dreads, right? Cultural appropriation. Yeah. That's too much. That's actually fascinating. Yeah, this this picture does not look anything like what my brain was mm -hmm. coming up with as I was reading the uh, the burning flame below his waist and the waist up. Yeah. This leaning amber. This is a very romanticized version of what's written. And it is like a really interesting thing. Like everyone reads scripture and then has their own lens that's between, you know, the scripture and their brain. And so this is like an interesting thing I suppose to talk about. The spirit fill uh, the spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem. So this experience is unique to Elijah and Ezekiel. It is a spiritual journey um, via a vision. And when he was in his vision, laying in his house, in he literally was laying in his house in front of these guys that were like, whoa, took too much. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Then in his mind, in his heart, he is flying to Jerusalem as God carries him by his hair. Picture like Aladdin on his magic carpet or like Dwight Schrute flying in second life. Second life. <laughs> Which he was only an assistant regional manager even in that dream. Yes. Assistant to, to the regional, regional manager. manager. Exactly. That's so funny. I forgot about that. That in his second life, he's, he's still, still himself, <laughs> dressed as himself. The Spirit of God is carrying him. And I would just like to say that I believe that things like this can still happen. 
Hmm. I just would like to say that God can do whatever he wants. There's nothing in scripture that says that God can't still do this. And so if people have a vision from God, we shouldn't immediately start with suspicion. Hmm. That's a, that's a mistake, right? I mean, I'm not saying that like any random person who like has been divorced 11 times and is hated by his kids can like, do do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. You have to look at the person's life, but you can't just start with suspicion. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Is visions and, (laughs) that's very hard for me. Thank you, Carly. (laughs) Visions and dreams. There is a distinction in scripture between those, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. That's a good question. Because as a a skeptic, if somebody were to come up to me and be like, dude, I just had this vision in the middle of my day. You're not going to believe it. And just started telling me this instantly skeptical instantly like let's get you checked in somewhere you need there's some type of medication that you're probably not taking that you need to be taking but if somebody said i had this crazy dream then i'd be like totally get that you should probably stop like eating before you go to bed or mm-hmm. something or like take magnesium Talk about, yeah, <laughs> yeah a, but for me in my rational brain there's an explanation which to your point gets in the way of me seeing probably an entire characteristics and personalities of God that I should be appreciating. Totally. Yeah. Vision is while you're awake. A dream obviously is while you're asleep. You know, the new Testament says to earnestly desire to prophesy. And the new Testament says, um, do not despise prophecy. And I got to tell you, I know a lot of people that do, they Mm -hmm. don't like it because Mm -hmm. when they have the Bible only, they can build a grid and have complete control Mm -hmm. over what is happening. Now, prophecies never go against the Bible. If they do, you just reject them and get rid of them immediately, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so let's Mm -hmm. move on. It says, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north. So I got my diagrams here for you guys. Holy smokes. So here's a diagram. I can't remember what book I got it from, but I got it from a commentary. So thank you to whoever originally made this. Um, so you can see, um, um, where he would have been, um, in his spirit. You can still go to this place, um, in Jerusalem now, which is wild, but there's a, there's a mosque on top of the place. So where this is, is the same place where Abraham was going to offer Isaac. It's literally the same place. Mm -hmm. And it's the same place where Nehemiah was building the walls around the temple. And it's the same place where Jesus would flip over the tables of the money changers. And it's the same place where Ezekiel was in this vision. So this this is a pretty big spot. It's a pretty big deal. Where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy? So image there is idol. It's the same word that's used in Deuteronomy 4.16, which says, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. The idea is um, not only did they not obey, but they brought their idol into the temple of God. So the most analogous thing in our culture would be if someone was, um, you know, promoting, you know, prostitution or something and they brought their like billboard for prostitution and put it on the church property. Right. Or if someone was like a known racist and they like brought their KKK uniform to church. Right. It's just like it's so obviously egregious. It's it's stunningly brazen in how ridiculous it is. Um, which which part of the court did they get into with this with these idols? Does it say um, so the entrance of the gateway of the inner court, which faces north? So I set this up so that it kind of matches. Got so it. that would be the top right. Okay. The entrance of the inner court, which faces north. And um the image which provokes to je- uh, jealousy, which is um, in that verse, is a direct reference to Deuteronomy 4.23, which says, Take care lest you forget the covenant of, your lo- of, of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord has forbidden for you. The Lord is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And um, this is the hard part about teaching this, because you kind of have to say this, or else it, it, it doesn't really come across clear to people because people don't, don't, uh, have never lived in a country of uh, idolatry, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, these, were, this, this is, these were all um, either Canaanite or Egyptian pagan sex cults. So this is like, 
you know, I don't like giving specifics because it makes me feel uncomfortable, but it's, it's like almost impossible to overstate how ludicrous these things were. Yeah. And you can just go look it up online if you want to understand what was the worship of these people. And, and we're going to end up having to go over it together in chapter 16 anyway. <laughs> Verse four, and behold, the glory of the Lord was there like the vision that I saw in the valley. Um, here's another artist's rendering of this. I like this wow. one. I like this one a lot more. Um, I, lo I love Raphael. Um, I love uh, the romanticized early paintings. I love this one. Um, it is, to me, a much more accurate representation of the way that Ezekiel chose to write in the spirit, which is like you're looking at it and you're like, whoa, that's wild. That would be hard to write down. Yeah. Right. You're like, uh, there's like these wheels and then like these other wheels. And then like I was looking at the ground because I was terrified. And when it says the glory of God there in verse four, it's literally Kabod Yahweh. Remember before when we were talking about Ichabod? Ichabod yeah. Mm -hmm. That's where the word Ichabod comes from, just in the opposite. Mm -hmm. Ichab um, um, not Ichabod. Kabod Yahweh, the glory of Yahweh. And I, it would be impossible as a teacher to overstate um, how important those words and ideas were to Jewish culture and, and perhaps how important they should be to us. Verse 5, Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north, and behold, north of the altar gate in the entrance was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary, but you will see still greater abominations. Abominations is um, a word from the Old Testament that many of us have actually heard in culture because it's one of the argued words. Because when you get into theological conversations on the internet a lot of times it ends up with someone talking about the book of leviticus right mm. abominations is the word in leviticus 18 that is so intense right so intense about the sexual ethic of orthodox christianity that sir ian mckellen who played gandalf has openly stated in interviews that every time he goes to a hotel he rips leviticus 18 out of the bible and throws it away Right. So if you ever go to a, a hotel, Checking check 18 immediately. because Gandalf wow. might have been there. Been there. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Destroying the Bible. We might um, not be staying in the same And then if it's room. missing all the miracles of Jesus, Logan or Thomas Jefferson stayed there. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just the Bible. It looks like Swiss cheese. So this is um, this is another um, this is a, 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 a better um, graphic of this chapter. Um, so these are the things we're about to see. So these are the numbers of what he sees in the abominations. And the, the um, outer and inner court are about the size of an average, like large church campus. Mm. If you go there, that's about how big it is. So if it's a church of, if there's a church, if you go to a church that's like two to 3,000 people, or you know of a church like that in your town, the campus is presumably about as large as this space in actuality when you go there. Um, Strong uh, says of that word abomination that it's something disgusting morally or, um, or, or an abhorrence or um, concretely an idol. Verse 7 then he brought me to the entrance of the court. And when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. So the theologian noted that Yahweh is a tour guide here and there's four scenes. And so we see the scene of the outrageous statue. That's what we've seen. And that is, that is offensive, right? Then we're going to see the scene of the images and the censors, then the woman weeping, and then the astral cult. So this is like, I, um, this is one of the more wild chapters yeah. in the entire Old I Testament. Like there is very few things that are as direct and as graphic about Israel's idolatry as this exact chapter. Um, it, it really does have something for everyone. 
<laughs> you know, it's like yeah. Which one like, are you? Tag choose, yourself. Choose your own adventure. Oh gosh, I think I'm idolatry. 25 men worshiping the sun. <laughs> Idolatrous adventure. Animal images. Totally. If you're into like you know cute dogs and stuff. Oh my gosh. I'm also fascinated by terrible comment. <laughs> yeah, terrible. I um, I am fascinated by the fact that there's a hole in the wall and a hidden doorway. Totally. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. You know? Totally. They just opened up this like new house in Gilbert that they're calling it uh, a farm or something, but you can go tour this house. It's like a 50 year old house, which here is old and they have all these like secret stairways and stuff. It was a lot of fun. Well, um, well like just with how protected, you know, the, the Holy of Holies, the Holy places, you know, yes, these ever restrictive circles of access are, and you know, you know, right out of the gates, like, I'm going to dig in this wall and there's a secret doorway which just kind of cuts straight to the heart of the holy place in the wall. Yeah. Exactly. Just, exactly. That's where they hide the Declaration of Independence. That, <laughs> that must have been a disturbing thing for Ezekiel to see in and of itself. So um, the reasons why Yahweh is the tour guide here because it says, quote, my holy place. That's the, the language that God uses. So there you go. Also, it uses the pronoun he in verse, uh, ch- uh, verse 5 of chapter 8 where the antecedent of that pronoun is God. We also are going to see in verse 18 uh, that it's the same as what Yahweh says in 5.11 and 7.9. And so um, he kind of jumps back in each time to the the vision. It's using a literary device in verse 8 called resumptive exposition, which means resuming exposition after the uh, visions or during the vision. So verse 8, then he says to me, son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall. So he's like, there's like a hole, but it's not completely, you know, pushed through. So he goes in, I dig in the wall and behold, there was an entrance, you know, secret entrance way, right? Like if you were playing Zelda, you would have heard that music right yeah. there because you found the secret entrance way. And it's like Indiana Jones type stuff. Verse nine, he said to me, go in and see the vile abominations that they're committing here. So I went in and saw, and they're engraved on the wall all around was every form of, of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. So um, what does that mean? Um, Is it wrong to have like an image of a caterpillar? Is that what he's talking about? No, of course not. What what he's talking about is he's talking about Egyptian worship um, of the created rather than the creation. And Mm -hmm. I do think that's pretty clear if you read through Exodus and Leviticus carefully. Um, That's what's going on there. So not real animals. Yeah, just engraved images of blank. Um, The hole and the hidden entrance uh, bring about this idea of secrecy. So inside the wall, there are are walkways inside of what those walls were. Um, I learned from my Jewish studies professor in college. Um, But they they are having a secret cult meeting in this place. And if you don't think that, then just wait till you hear the language that he uses in a minute. So one commentary that I read had said that there was a spiritual significance to that digging into the wall, being dig deeper into the heart of the issue and look spiritual, like through your spiritual eyes and see what's going on in the hearts of the men that were involved. I can totally see that. I liked that. And I, I think that like I think that it's that and they're he's going into the wall and it's like this is a this is happening. This is a secret thing that is happening, yeah. right? Which is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um and before them stood the 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. So 70 is um a, I'm not like a numerologist or anything, but 70 is a significant number in the Bible. Um, Jacob's family had 70 people that's referenced in Deuteronomy 10 in Exodus 24. There's 70 elders. Jesus had, most people know that Jesus had 12, but he also had a group of 70, which is kind of like the diet disciples, right? The ones that almost made it, the ones that were hanging out, waiting to see when someone got kicked out, they could get, get in the mix. They were next up. Um, they were the house of representatives (laughs) and the 12 was the (laughs) Supreme court. With Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, standing among them. So that sounds like someone that Ezekiel knew in verse 11. The name Jazaniah means Yahweh listens, says Daniel Block. Um, Its emergence and remarkable popularity during Jerusalem's last critical years probably reflects a general longing in Judah for the divine ear. So do you get what he's saying there? 
He's saying that it was not that common of a name in Israel, according to records, until the seventh century, which is a, right before Ezekiel was around, mm. and right before this was around. So he's saying it became a popular name, and he's saying the reason it became a popular name because because it represents the internal thoughts of the mothers and fathers of these children, which mm. is a desire for the listening ear of God. And the reason that it was included in the text is because in the final stretch of this passage, it is made into an ironic idea. Yahweh listens. Okay, now you hold that and then you wait till the end of the chapter. Um, each had a censer in his hand. The smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Censers like a, a pole that's like about this long with a handle on one end. And then the other end was a small you know, metal pot, and then you'd put incense in there, you'd light it, and then the smoke would go up from it. And it was a part of the worship in the temple of God. And you see throughout scripture that God likes the smell of certain things. You see this idea yeah. of a fragrant offering, you know, very consistently in the Old and the New Testament. The New Testament likens the sacrifice of Christ and Christians to a fragrant offering. It likens it to that idea. And so here it's so egregious because a censer is an item that they're using in worship to a different God, mm -hmm. right? So like, it's like taking out your hymnal from your 1990s Baptist church and writing a song to Satan in it and yeah. then singing it, right? It's like taking the communion trays and filling them with vodka and getting obliterated do you get what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's not just that they're doing it. It's that they're using the devices that God said for this. They're mm. taking the temple devices and using right. it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like taking a Jesus fish and putting legs on it and putting Darwin in the middle. <laughs> it's not like yeah. that at all. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> then he said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark? each in his room of pictures. So the room of pictures is referencing um, the opposite of what they were called to do in Leviticus 26. Ezekiel is making it really, really clear that they're disobeying that. And the idea is weird because the idea is that the smoke from the censers wafts up to the idols and the idols are like smelling it, right? Mm. And the idol, but the idols are obviously inanimate objects, right? Um, that represent real demonic beings and forces and stuff like that. So pagans viewed these activities um, as apotropic, which means that when they would give the smoke to the idol, the idol would protect them from evil, mm. right? So it really is not that different than like a good luck charm or like going to see a psychic or reading, you know, a horoscope or something like that, which is not something that a Christian should do, not because it doesn't work, but because it does work. Yeah. A lot of people wear like the evil eye. What's do that? You know what that is? Uh -uh. It's a, it's an emoji on your phone. It's a blue circle, light blue and then navy blue and then white. Hold it's up. like an eye and then they wear it as like an amulet and it's good energy. It's I'm looking for this vibes. emoji. Is that like the thing that then on TikTok at like two in the morning, I'm reading about how people like spotted that on like John Lennon's coat in like 1970. Oh, sure. And that means yeah. that he worshiped Satan. Which evil eye? Which eye? And then I'm just like, why am I watching this content? Like this is <laughs> yeah. insane, but I can't stop. Yeah. I just go deeper into the rabbit hole of nothingness. Yeah. Logan's about to ruin my, uh, my timeline because I just typed an evil eye. Oh, is that emoji in your recently used? Nick? <laughs> Not in mine. Mine are messed I'm up. Just of trying my to find it. I have unicorns. Yeah. Oh, they and... use all the demonic emojis. No, <laughs> Carly's kids yeah. using demonic emojis. I really don't want to be friends with anyone who doesn't have the poop emoji in their recently used. Oh, mine is there. It oh. should be up there. There's a lot of good uses for that one. Yeah. Right? What was yeah. that even supposed to be? from the beginning because that wasn't there was no apple emoji developer who decided to make a poop emoji with a smiley face what was it supposed to be no you bet there was i think that's you, what that it, was that's you. The, you, yeah. the origin that's the, i don't know they should make a movie the emoji movie it probably is in netflix okay but i do have a quick question I, to I bank us back okay <laughs> yes please it says <laughs> in it says in verse 12 that they were doing this in the darkness yeah the assumption then is that it's done in secrecy in the secrecy of their heart that's right if I were 
in this present day, would I have assumed that these elders, leaders, priests were in fact holy, but in the secrecy exactly. is when it all existed. But outwardly, they were presenting That's a exactly holy right. front. That's exactly right. Okay. And I believe that what God is presenting here is that they were literally doing this. Okay. So Ezekiel may or may not have been seeing it literally happening at that exact time, but God is showing him something that does happen at this place. That's exactly stay. right. That's exactly right. And that's the gift of what the Old Testament calls a seer, mm -hmm. which is, I believe, still a gift that very, very rare that very few people have. And it's very, very shunned um, by Christianity because it yes. cannot be controlled. And because God chooses to make the wisdom of the wise foolishness mm -hmm. by giving those elaborate gifts to the wackiest of people, they, he does. He does. I love them. I love yeah. those people. I, I love talking with those people after church. And I would say this if they were here. They're wacky, dude. Yeah. They're wacky, man. <laughs> the one guy that has the gift of intercession in our church, uh, I've only ever seen him wearing a kilt. Ed. <laughs> I've never seen him wearing right. pants, ever. He has the gift of intercession. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go. He talk to he him. comes to every service and sits in the front row and prays oh, for me. Know, I, I love this guy. I love this guy, but he's wacky. I would say that if he was here. Um, that's a very familiar concept to like front-facing big leaders yes. in ministry. Yes. Evil in the darkness. Amen. We know that so well. Terrifying. So this isn't something that happened. This is something that happens. This is Yeah. And will always happen. Yeah. Wow. Dang. That's a good um that's a good group exegesis. Um, he has said also to me, you will still see, verse 13, greater abominations that they commit. The triplet of the name Yahweh um, sees, Yahweh sees, and the comment, he does not see, and then God seeing and say, you will see, is it does have a hint of comedy in its darkness. Mm. Um, now, uh, they say, uh, I think I forgot to read this part. They say, verse 12, the Lord does not see us. He has forsaken this land. That was the second half of verse 12 that I forgot to read. And it, they're not saying God doesn't exist. They're saying he has abandoned us, um, which is a thing that a lot of people believe, uh, which is unfortunate. One of our calls as Christians is to testify to the goodness of God when other people are in the desert, when other people are in the dry seasons of life. We don't say to them, you know, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Mm. Being far from God, being in, being not being able to see God is awful. And we don't just say, you know, hey, it's okay. It's not okay. Right. It's awful. What we say to them is, I've been there, and God brought me through it, and he will bring you through it, and I will not leave you until that happens. Mm. That's the most powerful thing to do. Yeah. Don't do the like, hey, I'll pray for you, and then walk away. That's the worst <laughs> thing. It's the worst thing for people. Verse 14. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord and said, um, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Um, the, I'm going to get to what that is in a second. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these, right? He keeps coming back to this repeating phrase, greater abominations, right? You can see the page of Leviticus 18 being ripped out of the Bible in, in the hotel room, the, mm -hmm. the abominations and the disregard for what God has said. And so Tammuz is a Mesopotamian god of fertility. He was the son of Anki, god of water, and of Deuter, a personification of the ewe, like a lamb. Worship of Tammuz was centered around two yearly festivals, one in the early spring, in which his marriage to the goddess Inanna symbolized the fertilization of nature for the coming year, and one in summer, when his death at the hands of demons was lamented. That's from the Encyclopedia Britannica. And so you can see that it has a hint of Greek mythology there with this idea of gods that interact, gods that have sex with each other, and then gods that like die, and it's like a whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a whole it's like a whole thing. Um So the woman love him. Exactly. God. Yeah. Well, I think exactly too, the summer, the summer um, festival or whatever that you mentioned is their weeping is death. Um, that's that's so that's so great. That's exactly so, that's exactly what I was about to say. Here, let me say this, and yeah. then you finish your thought. So, summer ends in Israel around the third week of September, right where we are in time. So they are celebrating the death of this God, and like that's kind of hard for us to understand because it's like. They're remembering is a better word for it. They're remembering the death of this God. And poems from this time about this God and his lover that have lasted are incredibly sexual. 
So that's the implication. Right. Yeah. So, so it's almost like this was a holiday for people to follow the religion of Tammuz. Yeah. And they're here inside the temple celebrating this holiday. Yeah. That's exactly it, right. It's like a pagan, like Druid ritual in the worship center of your church. Yeah. Except your church isn't the holiest place on earth. It's, it's just like, your church. We so might host like, like a Christian graduation for like a high school. Yeah. We probably won't host this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, you cannot use our facility for your Tama's death festival. Sorry. Where else would we go? And this is, um, this is ancient syncretism. Mm-hmm. So what I would imagine right that if you were to go up to this woman who is weeping and say like hey what do you think about yahweh she'd be like yeah yeah heck yeah right Mm. like it's not like they're saying like only this not that and this is the same thing that's happening in society now people are pushing more and more Mm. for um syncretist views of the world and that's totally fine if you're part of any religion of Mm. any kind or any belief of any kind except for christianity because christianity makes claims of exclusivity right so be a Mm. syncretist if you want god has given you freedom of will do whatever you think is right do whatever you think is best. I think the best thing is to follow Jesus. That being said, you cannot integrate Jesus into syncretism because it is against what he himself said. Right. Right. So if you you want to have any intellectual honesty of any kind, it does, it does not fit together. Right. Right. You, you, yeah. Okay. So I think that's important. Verse 16, he brought me into the outer court of the house of the Lord and behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord, their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun toward the east. So it's sunrise. They're worshiping the sun god, which is one of the gods of Egypt. One of the main thrusts of the Pentateuch is this repeating phrase, quote, they did all these things. It's talking about Egypt. It's talking about Canaan. So people are always confused. Why are all these laws here? Why are all these random laws here? They weren't random laws. Those were all things that were integrated into the pagan rituals of one of those two places. And God is saying, don't do these things because these are those things, right? And so um, this is them disregarding that for 700 years. People are still worshiping the God of Egypt 700 years after they were freed from Egypt. According to 2 Kings 21, um, it appears to have gained royal sponsorship during the reign of Manasseh, who's like gotta be like one of the worst possible kings. He built altars for the entire host of heaven in the courts of the temple. So that's syncretism. So you can go into the temple um, from Second Kings 23, 11, and 12. One may also infer that the horses and chariots of the sun at the entrance of the temple that Josiah demolished had also been erected by Manasseh. The solar cult, along with other astral cults, is expressly forbidden in Deuteronomy 4.19 and Deuteronomy 17.2. Thank you, Daniel Block, um, a theologian, for that. Verse 17, then he said to me, have you seen this? You can hear the, you can feel the pain in the voice of God. It just keeps getting worse, right? Now we have, like Carly pointed out wisely, we have men that are viewed as spiritual leaders worshiping the sun at the temple of God. Um, Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose. So this is a a kind of confusing uh, turn of phrase in Hebrew um it it is the word zamora sorry carly for what i'm about to say but this is what it is it uses the word zamora for branch but the word zamora is um a phallic symbol in this time in um um the 600s bc And so the gesture of that symbol in the way that he wrote it is a part of the solar cult, a symbol of immortality relating to Tammuz's descent to the neverworld, a gesture of entreaty, says Daniel Block. So what you have there is you have a very, very aggressive um, sexual imagery there, which I don't, uh, I would prefer... 
um, not to expound no, on further. No image for that one. No graphic. <laughs> totally. Here, let's just pop that up real quick. Yeah. Um, quick, quick question. We reference Daniel Block a lot on here. Yeah. Any no, relation? no relation. But believe name. me, I dug into that one in seminary because I really wanted there to be. Is that your <laughs> My maiden, maiden name? name? Is Block? Yeah, that would Carly been. Block. Carly Block, Carly sister Daniel of Block. Casey Block. I don't know if you know that. That sounds like him. like a placeholder name in like a novel. Do you know what I mean? Carly like Block. Carly totally, Block. like Carly Block. It's oh, so we're weird th- hearing that name. Like <laughs> totally, it's like Carly Block. Oh, we're gonna change it later. Like that's not the name. <laughs> yeah. But we're it's that's Just, not the name. Not that. No we're gonna no change it. No, I think a Meyer is an upgrade. I was just, I was right? just hoping if, if you, if I you were related, we are not. Can you, can you call I Uncle read, Daniel? I really, and get him on the podcast. And meet that one, but okay. <laughs> this guy, dude, the, Daniel Block is a genius. He, is. he wrote the Nightcot commentary on Ezekiel. There's two of them. It's the thing I studied the most in preparation for this. He's so amazing at studying resources from the ancient near east and then integrating them into that like so many commentators are like i don't know what that branch thing means and he has it and it makes a lot of sense because it lines up with Mm -hmm. exactly what they were saying in the previous verses right Mm -hmm. so verse 18 therefore i will act in my wrath my eye will not spare nor will i have pity And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. He says in 5.11, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pure uh, pity. He says in 7.4, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. Here he expands upon it with a final line. Chapter 9, then he cried in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. Now, we still have a, a big chunk of content. So I think, why don't we discuss anything we want to discuss from chapter 8, and we'll do chapter 9 in the next episode. Um, does anybody have any thoughts or did anything stand out to them? I think the last part here and we're going to probably get into this in the next chapter Mm -hmm. but idolatry and idol worship in the holy place is the greatest thing detestable to god it seems like right and it just like it just strikes me because it's so analogous to pride of heart in the temple of god in the place of god and when i hear things like that i'm just like oh my gosh and i just i'm thinking I'm just thinking about myself. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Like when David says, search me, Lord. Mm. Right. But it says, um, well, in one thing that I had read that they had assumed that God had left them. And so therefore they were acting in this way under the assumption that God had abandoned them. Wow. And that to me is like, such a deception of the enemy that we get in this place of just assuming that God has left us when really he's been there the whole time. And then in the end, when he says, therefore I will respond like because of the way that the enemy deceived you and led you into all of these unbelievable acts. Yes. Um, I will respond, but, it was all because they had assumed that God had left them, had abandoned them, and really he was there the whole time. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good. I'm just trying to like... Here, let's get Tamas off the screen really quick. <laughs> yeah. I don't like I that. I was getting lured in slowly. I don't like that guy. There's all these... Oh, no, we're losing Logan. Oh, Come back to us, Logan. Yeah. It's easily the worst thing you've said on this podcast, including the thing we edited out. <laughs> I think that's so good, right? They thought that the Lord had forgotten them. And that's why the scripture so often says, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, mm-hmm. wait on the Lord, and he will renew your strength, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, theologians in the uh, medieval time developed this theology called the dark night of the soul. Oh. And the way that St. John of the Cross and uh, St. Teresa of Avila pitched it is um, something that everyone will go through. And I believe that, and I have been through that. Um, when you can't see spiritually around you when everything is dark, um, you think God has abandoned me, 
And what's actually true is that God is testing you. And that's a really, really, really hard truth. Mm. And so I would never say that to someone while they were in the dark night of the soul. I would just say, here, let's see if we can get some light on you right now, brother, sister. Um, but I think this is what's so hard about people, uh, about Christianity for people is they get saved according to this gospel. It's like, Hey, Jesus wants to make your life 10% better. And that's not true. Jesus came that you would have a new life. And he himself said, unless you hate your life, you will never understand how to follow me. And then people are like, dude, God wants to make my life better, right? I'm integrating Jesus into my life. And then they get into the dark night of the soul. And they're like, well, this is a disaster. None Didn't of it must be true. This exactly. This is why Jesus gave the real gospel. He said, whoever would save his life must lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he said, come lose your life. Um, come take up your cross and follow me. And in the pain and isolation that you experience, that I have experienced, that Jesus has experienced, then you will find true living, right? Hmm. That's really good, Carly, too, because like, and I don't want to be too reductive with it yeah. but in terms of you know this this can be difficult to find application mm-hmm. you know for in your mm-hmm. modern comfortable american christian life yep but the, the 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 very simplistic principle of never doubting god's presence um because if you do it causes you to you know want to do crazy things yep. or re- replace whatever that was yep. with something else yep um it's just, it's a, it's such a foundational thing. And like the dark night of the soul, you know, when we go through those times, as long as the anchor point, you know, what, no matter what we're going through, the anchor point still being that, that God is there and he, he hasn't left us. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's the application. Totally. You know? And like having a fully rounded view of God and letting God tell us who he is. So if God wants to tell us that he does not tolerate prideful rebellion and he wants to tell us that five or 600 times, then let's let him tell us who he is and let's not try to integrate that into the one time in, in the New Testament where it says God is love. I believe that. Right. I believe that, right? But we must weigh all of the things of Scripture, right? Very cool. Mm-hmm. Anybody have anything else? It's good. These are like the the not even close to the moments where I regretted picking this book. That's like chapter 16. <laughs> I, I doubted you for a good hot minute. You did. I did. I will confess. Because you were reading when it, it. When you came down from stage that you were doing a, your first Bible study and then the title was released and I went, not one of the first <laughs> Ezekiel. 62 books I would have chosen. Yeah. Well, I'm a theological masochist. But now I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Theological masochist. That's a theological masochist. It's a problem. That's great. Well, I got asked to teach a Bible study at, at another church and I taught Leviticus and like halfway through, I was like, what is like actually wrong with me? Why do I do things like this? Sit in my office. I'm like, this is a great idea because my heart is to teach people that if the hardest books can teach you something, then then you could do any of it, right? Ooh, true. And if you could study Leviticus, if you could study Ezekiel, then yes. you could study anything, Galatians right? Galatians will be a cakewalk. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you guys for watching. We'd love it if you'd let uh, give us a comment. Let us know how you're doing. Um, let us know how we could have somebody pray for you. And we'd love it if you would like, share, rate, all of that stuff or whatever they're calling those things in the future. Thank you guys for watching. And we'll see you guys here next time on 1189.